What's up, everybody? My name is Banks. Welcome to the Frown Room, and I'm here with my co-host, Doug. Hey there. Today, we have a, a special episode. Every episode's special here at the Frown Room, but this episode is even more special. Um, wait. The fan's on. Oh. I'm leaving this in. Okay. technical difficulty there um my name's banks i'm here with my co-host doug as always and today we're going to talk about a very special album um one of our favorites in fact yeah definitely this album is of course the album ocean machine by mr devin townsend now a few weeks ago i thought it was by biomech uh no it's a you actually got it backwards (laughs) biomech yeah yeah biomech is the album name Oh, and, it's by uh, the band Ocean Machine. Got yeah, it. Ocean Machine is the band, you see. Right. right. So that was uh, that was where that came from. Uh, as you'll remember, a few weeks ago, Doug and I talked about the album City by Strap Young Lad. And this album, um, Ocean Machine, as it's now called, pretty much, is a pretty much the sister album to that one in many ways. Um, not only because they were written at the same time, but be- because there's a lot of thematic overlap and a lot of... Um, know similar lyrical content and of course you know they're both by Devin Townsend of course primarily just a little history on this album Uh, this album was released in 1997 Um, it was uh, recorded in several different places including uh, the factory studios in Vancouver and uh, it was also mixed in Spain by uh, Daniel Bergstrand and uh, Devin which I'll talk about a little bit in a minute and uh, the album, you know... Oh, and uh, don't forget, Shithole Headquarters Burnaby. Oh, yes. Well, I, I didn't want people to know so transparently that I was just reading the Wikipedia, but now that they know, I guess it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so right. uh, there's a lot of um, cool stuff we could say about this album. Uh, we're going to do this one a little different. Uh, last time, we kind of just did a big history lesson about City... But I think um, if you really want that history lesson, I think you should go to the source. And uh, Devin has a great podcast episode that he did earlier this year about Ocean Machine that is wonderful and is probably one of the most um, important things I've ever listened to in my life. And we'll get to that at the uh, at later on when I start to talk about the Ocean Machine and, and all that. And uh, so, yeah, basically just check that out if you want to really know the history like the deep in-depth history, but uh, in, the, in the short of it, you know, it came out in 1997 and um, didn't really make a big splash, although it sold a fair bit in Japan, which kind of helped Devin sort of lean into a, sort of an inter, a more international career, which is kind of true now mm. still, that he is probably more popular abroad than he is here in North America. Yeah. But um, overall, the album is kind of a, uh, a hodgepodge of different sounds, Scott. 
progressive metal. It's got a little bit of a uh, alternative rock feeling to it. It's got um, a very '90s sound, a very '90s production style. A lot of the um, touches in, of uh, industrial music as well. Um, very, I mean, it's just a very industrial sound overall. I mean, the, in its production style. But I guess you could say that's sort of a '90s thing. Yeah, um, and as we all know, uh, the '90s were the last time that something really meant anything. So, uh, yeah, there you have it. Yeah, now you know. So that's um, why we're gonna keep talking about stuff from the '90s. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of want to get into it here with Doug and maybe talk about first how our first sort of experience is listening to this album because this is one that we've both been listening to for years now, and um, kind of get into maybe some of our initial thoughts and some of the initial reactions we had to it whenever we heard it well um you know i'm trying to rack i'm kind of racking my brain over when when was like the first time i really heard this record but as far as i can remember i think i i first heard it around 2008 so it was right right when i was sort of uh like finishing high school um and so when i heard this record it was because I had heard Strapping Young Lad before that, and I had heard some of Devin's stuff before that as well. But this album, this album was one of his that it 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 took me a bit longer to actually hear it. Is the weird part, even though it's kind of considered a classic of his discography. But for me, um, <clears throat> I was kind of in this transitional phase in my life. Uh, you know, first uh, moving away from the parents' house and kind of going out into the big world and all that. Um, and I, I think there was a lot, I, I think, I think thematically the album is a lot about sort of this transitional phase in one's life. Um, and there was a lot, there's a lot that's always kind of resonated with me about that. Um, just in like lyrically and, and musically, um, there's, there's something, one thing I I've always found about this album personally is, uh, it's, it's one of those records where despite being, a you know, a heavy metal record, ostensibly, it has a very calming atmosphere to it. It's always had a very, uh, like, relaxing, uh, almost like entrancing sort of feel to it. Um, you could say part of it is just like the production has this, this, I mean, you'd think like a, an industrial sound, like a 90s industrial sound would have like a really harsh feeling to it. But this one, this one, there's something about it that, that just has kind of a nice, easy easy feeling on the ears generally and it's a it's surprisingly surprisingly so for for a metal record um it's 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 just one that i i feel has a very timeless quality about it too i mean it's one i i can put on just about any time and and enjoy because the the bass songwriting is is just so solid on this record um and uh it's 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 just there's not a single moment on this record that's that's really boring for me but it's it's interesting how for the most part it it follows some pretty like poppy songwriting conventions um but it's all on the details for how he writes it that where i think this album really stands out from you know any industrial rock or or hard rock uh record from from that time you know yeah, one thing I'm struck by whenever I listen to it, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing I'm struck by whenever I listen to it, and this is something that he kind of spoke about in his uh, podcast, and I kind of noticed a little bit more um, after listening to it subsequently, 
I noticed that, um, you know, the album has a lot of, you know, despite sounding very sing- singular, you know, and being yeah. something that sounds totally unique. Right. You can also hear tons of different influences, you know, all over. Yeah. Um, one of the big ones, I think, is actually Metallica. Um, yeah. And like the Black well, Album. Didn't he use um, the snare from uh, Sad But True? Like in a sample for this album, yeah. So that's pretty funny. Yeah, this, you know, when they recorded the album, you know, the drums, the performances were good, but the drum sound wasn't, you know, really all that great. And so right. he had to, which is, and this is a pretty common thing done in metal nowadays, and probably back then, but pretty much they had to replace the snare with with the sample so that you know there would be a sort of a consistent sound throughout. And they, legend has it, I guess, is that they. Uh, Daniel Bergstrand and uh, Ev- and Devin uh, put on a, a CD of the Black Album and just like played it through some speakers and recorded like the room that the speakers were playing the su- the sound in and just kind of like they patched that over the original recording basically or they used that as a sample to be re- they basically replaced the original snare with a sample at that point and if you listen to the record um, you can just hear it like clear as day especially if you listen to it back back to back like if you listen to Lars Ulrich's drum fill at the beginning of um Sad But True and then if you listen to uh any song on Ocean Machine you can just hear it clear as day and if you listen close enough you can actually hear there's like a little bit of like a palm muted attack from James Hetfield cuz the cuz the second that they took it from like the exact note that they took was like one where where the where there's like a a guitar hit and a snare hit at the same time so you can almost just barely hear a little bit of guitar on there too it's kind of it kind of really adds to the weird mystique and the mythos of the production of the album to me when i listen when i hear about that right well and and i and you could say it it you know when we talk about industrial sounding uh like production there's something about the the way that sampled snare sounded that that gave the album part of its sort of industrial flair, you know, um, yeah, just absolutely. that that little bit of extra weird touch to it, I suppose. Yeah, and if I would say one thing um, about that sort of production element is, um, you know, there's a lot of quirks to uh, the album, and I think like production wise. And I think that just kind of adds to it. Like whenever I listen to the production on the album, which I've been doing a lot lately and why that is, we'll get into it. But, um, I really try to dig in and listen to the production and I hear so many crazy things that make me go, what, why would they do that? Like on the song greetings, the song greetings starts and there's this great guitar riff and it's right full front in the mix. And as soon as Devin's voice comes in, you can't hardly hear it. And it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it's so weird. There's so many like weird little choices like that. Or like the guitar sound on the album is so like scooped and like grainy. And it has that, like just that nineties, like lo-fi sound to it, like so much, but it yeah. also really cuts through. Cause, cause I guess the way that they, um, they mixed the bass in along with the guitar riffs kind of make, kind of evens it out. But if you just listen to kind of the guitars in isolation, it's just so like, it's almost harsh. In fact, yeah. sometimes um, there were a couple of times where I was working on a song or two this summer and I would pull a song in from Ocean Machine to compare. And then I, first I would go, OK, yeah, my song sounds nothing like this. But then I would go, why is the EQ on Ocean Machine so messed up? There's yeah. a huge, huge spike. And this is kind of a technical de- detail, but there's a huge EQ spike around like 
4,000 hertz, 5,000 hertz. And if you go into your EQ and just pull that, pull out maybe one or two dB around that range, all of a sudden the album sounds so much clearer. It's kind of funny. <laughs> huh. That's, that's, that's strange. Yeah. It's, but, but I mean, that's, that's one of the things where I, I think, I think it, it really, those little details kind of add to the album for me. Like the, the weird lo-fi guitar sound, the, the set of harsh, uh, like weird, like noise, uh, as you said, uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the weird nature of the, uh, the volume mixing and whatnot on this album. Um, there's, there's just something where nothing about it should work, but, I guess Devin's music has always been sort of more than the sum of its parts. Um, yeah. And I, I think all of those things combined with the fact that the album is just so like, like brick walled and like all of the tracks just hit you in the face. Like, especially when like, you know, you'll have a big chorus or something and it'll just hit you. And it's, the sound is so soupy and so like almost undefined that it, it kind of envelops you and you kind of, it has its own ambience and atmosphere to it because of that, even though it's so like loud. I mean, it's like a yeah. really loud album. Um, and it's weird. Cause I mean, just a bit ago, I was talking about how relaxing I find the album, but I think yeah, I it's, mean, I think because that's kind of, of that. Yeah. I think that's part of it. It's kind of like, not like white noise, but it has the same kind of quality and kind of like satisfies my ears the same way. Like I, right. I really often will put on this album and listen to like the first five songs to fall asleep. And then, you know, I'll yeah. get to like the fifth song and I'll be like, and I'll take the headphones off kind of like half asleep and then go to bed. But then, yeah. um, but yeah. And the, cause those songs have such a quality to them that they just kind of like ease you kind of ease you into like a, a lull almost. And right. That's not, I would say that's not only kind of, kind of like a rare thing in general, but that's kind of like, unlike many other of uh, Devin's albums, except for maybe, except for the ones that are like intentionally meant to be ambient, like Ghost or Dev Lab and the Hummer, right? Like, uh, or, you know, Key, Casualties are cool, but this album has like, it's like different than those in that it still has like the rock and metal sound of his other music, but it's like, it's like, it's got that same ambience to it. And, you know, there's spots here and there where you know he'll have that again throughout his career but this album is kind of like the one that kind of encapsulates that the most and kind of um right set it's kind of it really sets itself apart from the others and it's possibly because it was just the first one you know yeah yeah um yeah because i i mean every other album after this i would say has a somewhat different production style than this album did even yeah um well, I would say every album afterwards has like a completely, you know, they all each individually have like a different production style. I mean, right. you know, I think more recently, like some of the later DTP albums like Sky Blue and Z and uh, 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 Dark Matters and Transcendence and Epic Cloud, I would say those three sound pretty similar. Right. Um, but then Empath sounds nothing like those. Right. And like none of those sound anything like the first four DTP albums. And then right. like, Teria sounds nothing like Ocean Machine, and like right. Infinity sounds nothing like Ocean Machine, and then phys- Physicist sounds like none of the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, he's he's always been sort of reinventing himself, but uh, this this uh, this album kind of is it's uh, the first big step of a, a big journey in a in a way. Although, I mean, we should point out this is really like his fourth album, because like really. It re- 
really the fifth if you want to count the Steve Vai album. Right, because we had uh, Sex and Religion. We had uh, City came out before this. Um, we had uh, Punky Brewster, Cooked on Phonics, one of the finest works in his catalog. Boo. <laughs> and then we had, uh, what was what was the other one? Heavy is a Really Heavy Thing. Oh, Heavy is a Really Heavy Thing, that's right. Yeah, how could we forget um, that album? <laughs> <laughs> how can you forget great songs like Satan's Ice Cream Truck and Happy Camper? and Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a... As I'm, I'm sitting here naming all of the songs on the album that aren't the good ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some there are some fun songs. Anyways, uh, Ocean Machine though. Um, th- you know this this album. I I think it's interesting because the second half, the first half is pretty for the most part like very, you could say more like standard songwriting, um, in a way. But it's the second half is where this album starts to get really like crazy and weird with. Um, stuff like Funeral and um, Bastard, Not One of My Better Days, uh, Slash Girl from Blue City, and and The Death of Music. Where they're, I mean, those those three have these. They're much longer songs comparatively, but they're they're these you know bigger compositions. Yo, um, can I tell you my my theory that I like, I like? I'm having a revelation right now. I just came out. Oh yes. This. Oh so yes. You can think of Ocean Machine as like. A three-act play, all right. Right? right? Check it out. So the first, so, um, hold on, let me look at the track list. So Seventh Wave through Hide Nowhere is the first act, right? Right, right. That and makes that's sense. kind of, those songs are kind of introductory. Like you have Seventh Wave, which is like kind of about escape or about, um, you know, the growing notion that things are about to change. Right, And then right. the song Life, which is kind of like an affirmation of like, an attempt to, you know, maintain positivity. Right. And then yeah. Night and Hide Nowhere are totally like kind of escapist songs about, right. um, you know, um, kind of um, disassociating, I guess you could say, especially Hide Nowhere, which is kind of really about draw, go, drawing inward and kind of like trying to escape from, you know, reality or like thinking you don't belong, feeling out of place. Right. But then you have... Sister, 3 a.m., Voices in the Fan, and Greetings, which is like, yeah. and Regulator 2. And this right. is the act two. Um, right. This is like the more experimental part of the album because you have right. these like right. short little transitionary songs. Right. And you have this song, Voices in the Fan, which is a very strange song. It's like a, it's like a. Well, that's one it, of the ones where it's like full industrial metal more so yeah. than anything else on the record. Oh yeah, Good. definitely, and it and has all of these. Go oh, ahead, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's especially interesting because you know the first four songs or the first, you know, first four songs have this much more sort of standard hard rock, um, heavy metal sort of sound to them. But yeah, it was voices in a fan goes into this this really really weird uh, like industrial territory that you were saying. And then, like, the song has the song like ends with these like recordings of a choir or something, and it's so strange. Like, it's really, really right. sister 3 a.m. and voices in the fan are like this weird like sound collage of like tracks. Yeah. And then you have greetings, which is this short little song, which is almost like a fanfare, which leads right into regulator. Um, yeah, which is kind of for me the end of act two. And then once right. you get to the, the final, the last four tracks funeral, bastard, the death of music, and the thing beyond things. 
I think, and Thing Beyond Things to me is not a bonus track. I know it's listed as a bonus track, but I don't think you can actually. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure on most copies of the album, like on the oh. CD, it was listed as a bonus track. But to me, oh. to me, I it's don't like, have the original. <laughs> I don't. To to me, it's crucial to right, understanding right. the whole point of the thing is Thing Beyond Things. Um, but yeah, Funeral Bastard and Death of Music and Thing Beyond Things is kind of like the final act. And to right. me, that run of songs really, I mean, to me, sometimes I'll say to people, I mean, that run of songs is like the album, like the whole like point of, you know, the whole arc of the album is kind of in those three songs where you have Funeral, which is, you know, about being a young person and experiencing the death of a friend. And mm-hmm. then um, Bastard, which is like about having like a freak out when you're on drugs or something. I think well, that's what said that Bastard was sort of like the sister song to Detox by Strapping yeah. Lad too. So. Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah, it's kind of about um, like, I guess you could say ego death in a way. Right. Um, and then death of music is, is, I mean the, I, the name of that song is quite literal. I mean, that song is about how, you know, when he went to LA, you know, and started working with Steve Vai, you know, his perception of what the music industry was, was completely changed. And like, you know, it was almost like literally music died for him in a way. And then, right. And then things beyond things kind of wraps it up in a neat little bow where it takes you back to adolescence. Cause not only was that song recorded, like I think it was recorded either during or before the Steve Vai project. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Things beyond things is actually older than most of the rest of the songs on the album. Right, because I mean, it's it it feels like this very mature, um, and and very somber song. You know, it 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 feels like a song that comes from, like almost like someone looking back on his life rather than someone who's early in his career. <laughs> yeah, but it's actually it's actually even like earlier. It's like a, it's like a it's kind of like a young person, you know, who's beginning to grow old, really, and that kind of sums the whole thing up and. Yeah, the album has like a real thematic quality to it that um doesn't really present itself immediately, but when you really dig into it, it's like, oh shit, there's so much going on here and there's so much like emotional content to it. Yeah, and and it, it's interesting cuz you know there was there there was always something that I you know it, it part of it is maybe I discovered this this album sort of just at the right moment too when I was kind of going through uh you know learning more about myself and and kind of going out into the world, but there's there's always been something that really resonates with me. And the more, the more I dig into that, the more I realize, oh, so why that is. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be a great place for me to kind of. I never got to say how I got into the album. And oh yeah, no, we I, we still need to hear your side. We we've actually like bun- we've jumped around a bunch of topics, but that's okay. That's what the whole point of the show is. Um, right. So uh, the first time I heard the album, you know, I was really young. I was like. 13 or 14, I was, um, I think I had just started, uh, I must have been in middle school. This was back during the old uh, online, you know, salad days of uh, uh, yes. me and Doug uh, first becoming friends and all that, which, you know. Ye old times, yeah. We did a whole episode about that. It's episode two, I believe. That's one of my favorites, so check that one out. But, mm. um, you know, I really dug that album. But I would be lying if I said it was one of my favorites of his then, or even my favorite of his that then. Um, yeah. But I really did dig the song Life. 
I thought it was yeah. really novel how like you know I would I would listen to a song like Oh My Fucking God from City and then listen to a song like Life and be like I can't believe it's the same guy. It's the same artist. Yeah, it's the same guy. I didn't realize that it was actually that that duality was so much deeper than it was than just being kind of novel. Right. I think at the right. time my favorite Devin stuff was. Um, like Addicted was probably one of my favorite albums at the time because that that was right. fresh, and then when Epic Loud came out, that was another one of my favorites. So yeah. I mean, that's the kind of sound that I liked. But yeah. I went a number of years without really listening to Devin all that intently. I would check back in every time he put out a new record. Like I remember when Transcendence came out, I listened to that. I remember I didn't listen to Z Two when it came out, but I remember it coming out. And I remember yeah. I think I was a little vaguely aware of Empath coming out, but it really. And this kind of this brings me to my experience with Ocean Machine is this past summer I had listened to a little bit I was starting to get back into metal again for after you know not listening since last summer and um I was like man you know Devin Townsend is like I love his music I really think I sh- I really wish I loved it more and was more familiar with it cuz I knew you know a few things but I felt so intimidated. I was like, "Damn, he has such a big discography. Like, how am I really going to get into all this?" Because like, an album mm. like an album like Terria, which everybody is has, uh, I've always I always heard people say how great it was. I've only ever listened to it like once. I'd only I, I had only. <laughs> let me be clear. I had only ever listened to it once or twice before. Right. And I was just like, "Yeah, it's all right." <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> it hadn't really like you know clipped clipped clicked for me in the same way that you know, it had for other people and eventually, you know, it would, but this is not a podcast about Terry. So that's another, another story for another right, day. Right. And, um, so, uh, you know, I list. I think it started, I listened to transcendence on a, for a while in our discord group, I would stream some music for the guys. And I don't remember if you were there, Doug, but I remember a couple of our other friends were, and I'd stream transcendence, which was, I mean, to me was still kind of fresh. Cause it, you know, it only came out four years ago and, Right. It was sort of the last new thing I'd heard. And I was like, yeah, I need to check out more of his stuff. And it slowly happened. But what really did it for me was when I was kind of on a YouTube rabbit hole one day and I had just finished up classes for the semester. And this is obviously during like COVID and everything and, you know, quarantine. And I was back at home with my parents. I'd had to move home from being at graduate school and complete school, you know, online. And I was at home with my parents. And I remember I was sitting on the back deck. It was hot. It was a, it was a balmy South Carolina day. It was like 90 degrees. And I saw that, you know, a few month ago or so at this time, it was a month ago, maybe two months ago. I believe it was May or June when I started digging into this, but I saw that Devin had done a podcast about a bunch of his albums. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. You know, uh, I like his music. I'll check these out. So I listened to the ocean machine one and um, it really blew my mind. And when I say it really blew my mind, I think it like really set off a bunch of dominoes that really not only led me to rediscovering his music, but in a way like be- taking steps to restructure, you know, my life in a new way. And um, mm. essentially, you know, the the podcast is like it's almost like you hear like the journey of, you know, a young man who's trying to make a record and get it made because it took him so long to make the record. I mean, yeah. he's so much of the music on the record was written even before Steve Vai, like funeral was written before Steve Vai death of music was written before Steve Vai things beyond things and bastard. A lot of these songs were written before Steve Vai. Right. And, um, the process of him trying to get the album made is like a coming of age story in a way. 
Right. You know, it took him so long. And in the meantime, he, he had all these other things going on with Strapping Young Lad and Punky Brewster. And when he finally got it made, Punky you know, Brewster being the most important project, of course. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but in the process of all this stuff getting made, it was like, you know, nobody, he couldn't get, you know, he basically couldn't get arrested, you know, like the whole, like no one was interested in Ocean Machine at all. And right. um, of course, then he had he had to go through the experience of going to Spain to mix the album with Daniel Bergstrom, which was like a miserable experience because the studio owner would always kick him kick him out, so he and Antonio Banderas could play guitar songs in the in the studio and you know <laughs> get drunk. This is now true that's story. A, that's by a the story. Way. Yeah, he doesn't actually he doesn't actually mention Antonio Banderas in the um, in the podcast, but if you read his book, um, only half there, he actually does mention him so that's kind of funny um <laughs> gets kicked out of a studio because antonio banderas wanted to play acoustic guitar yeah really make that's really funny but anyway yeah the to make a long story short or long story long because i've already talked for like five minutes about this hearing him talk about ocean machine in these terms an album that i already liked but i never realized was so deep and had so much like real life um struggle attached to it not only lyrically but actually in the actualization of putting the record together i was like oh i need to check this out and listen to it some more and so i listened to it a couple times i think i listened to it like maybe two or three times in like one day and i was Mm. like oh my god like it was like a light came on and i was like first off i was like i have to do something like this because i'm also going through this kind of thing now and um because for me Basically, and I mean, I know I'm not unique. I'm known I'm not the only person whose you know life was totally like upended by the pandemic. But um, basically, for me, um, you know, I was finally getting to the point. You know, I was, I'm in graduate school, and I'm trying to make a career for myself as a jazz musician and a music teacher and all that stuff. And I was finally beginning to get momentum. But you know, there was also there were a lot of experiences I was having at the time in graduate school, and this is you know this is not the fault of any one person. This is mostly like a bunch of experiences that were just negative and added up, and you know there was a lot of you know like personal psychological things I had to go through. But you know that combined with the fact that I was finally starting to gain momentum after all of this struggle, and then all of a sudden everything is kind of pulled out from underneath me, kind of forced me to really really reevaluate my priorities not only like in the music i enjoy playing and listening to but like in what i wanted to do and so basically uh tl the tldr of that is because of ocean machine and the ocean machine podcast i decided that i was going to make an album of my own which is not out yet um it will be out you know uh listen in a maybe a month or so from now maybe sometime in october i'm probably going to put a single out and make a big announcement um, but this is sort of me getting the hype up for that. But um, th- so, yeah, this album had a big impact on me so far. And, you know, I really felt like this album delivered unto me a major paradigm shift. And not just this album, but Devin's work in general mm. helped me realize that, oh, I, I can because I'd always wanted to make, you know, rock music, too. I'm a, I mean, m- mainly I'm a jazz musician. For those of you who don't know, I'm, I play the saxophone. I've been going to school to learn to play the saxophone for going on six years now. I did four years of undergraduate. Now I'm in a graduate program for jazz studies. I've played in, you know, big school, big bands, and I've done all kind of like live gigs playing, you know, jazz in restaurants while no one's listening and all that kind of stuff, you know, um, you know, you know, like wedding gigs and all that stuff. And um, 
you know, I realized that I was kind of, and I don't want to, you know, get into therapy here. I'm probably going off a little bit, but this is important. I realized, oh my goodness, there's a, there's a whole side of my music, of my music listening and enjoyment and, you know, potentially my output that I'm ignoring. And so mm-hmm. I ended up basically, I pretty much bought a guitar and wrote a bunch of songs and now I have this record. So that's the TLDR <laughs> of that. So yeah, um, basically this album was really important to me. Right. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it, this album's sort of the perfect example of like grace under pressure in a musical sense, you know, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of great stories of 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 real gems that were kind of carved out from adversity in in a lot of different art and medium, uh, you know like uh, what's what's a good example most 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 great things, uh, you could say uh, the Lord of the Rings films you know Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker, uh, yeah a lot of a lot of a lot of these great pieces of work and and this album I think it it really shows you know even in the lyrical content and the and just like the themes of the album that this was an album that was really it was born from a a, a lot of uh, pressure and struggle and and uh, I, I suppose more most importantly a lot of growth uh while it was happening um so with that with that in mind uh, what what songs do you think resonate with you the most off of this record vegs i would say there are some clear ones yeah. Um that I like a lot like really really speak to me. Um mm. particularly the song Funeral is the one I kind of go back to yeah. the most from this album. I think oh, that, that album's has... just an emotional powerhouse of a song. Yeah. Not necessarily because I relate to it, but the emotion in that song is just so palpable. Yeah. And um you, you watch any like those live performances of him playing that song where he's he's practically bursting into tears playing the song it's 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 yeah. incredible yeah it's like that song really just i think that song is sort of one of the one of the pivotal moments of the record like and really kind of a capsule encapsulates the whole emotional kind of element of it and i think you know it's funny most of the other songs kind of have a more reserved quality but that one i think he lets it a little more loose on that one especially in like the the song doesn't really have like a chorus or anything, but it has like a no. kind of a bridge section where the, the song gets huge and he goes into some, some really um, kind of emotional lyrics about, you know, like dealing with the, with the, the death of a friend um, lyrics, like um, my particularly starting at the part where he starts to sing um, a world away, you turn away, I'm wide awake and I don't need your home. I don't actually know what that one means, but it's like the way he sings it. It's like, Oh yeah, that's crazy. It's the feeling it's and and like lyrically a lot of a lot of with with Devin Townsend's work a lot of it's more been about not what he's saying directly necessarily but he he uses a lot of like evocative language uh you know a lot of like metaphor and a lot of a lot of things that are are uh you could call it cryptic but it it is it is certainly uh kind of hitting home on an emotional point that that he's getting at and when you kind of understand the context it's pretty crystal clear uh what what sort of what he's talking about but it's it's a lot of um it's it's a lot of a lot of lyrics that are are more just evoking a strong feeling or putting you in a place rather than uh rather than telling you something directly which i i really respect his ability to do that yeah so if if funeral is the song that i think emotion one of the or at least one of the songs that i think emotionally 
really encapsulates the record. I think Bastard is the song that musically encapsulates the record from the from the standpoint of the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean that song just about has every single uh like aspect of that this album on it from I mean it has like that kind of hard rock riffs that really start the the song out and it kind of goes into these 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 more grand uh, atmospheric parts later in the song. Um it's a you know 10 minute long 10 minute long song. Yeah, and it has like a it has like a proggy element to it. Um yeah. but the riff is very memorable and the lyrics are very the lyrics are very direct and very um very memorable as well. I think um you know, this I mean this song is another, you know, one of those epic songs that when you see him play it play it live, it's like holy Jesus, this guy's going to lose it. But, right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, that one's just kind of a song about hopelessness if if you think about it. Um, you know, funeral yeah. is about Funeral is about kind of, it's kind of like sorrow and sadness, and this and bastard is about hopelessness and feeling, because even the second half of the song, the girl from Blue City, kind of has that vibe too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's it's. I got a bit more of a. I mean, it. Uh, the main like chord progression of of bastard definitely has a bit more of this, um, like somber. I would say tone than. Uh, than funeral even where yeah it, well it, it kind of sorry yeah well well yeah it kind of has this like dissonant sound to it because he uses these like um you know minor six minor third intervals and it's like really strange it doesn't have the same kind of like normal tonality you would of like a song that's like minor or it's meant to be sad but it right it, it really works you know right yeah there's sort of this uh it's almost like a I mean that that dissonance in in the song. Um, I mean it, it. I mean you. Re, it's a song you really get lost in, but it. it yeah. I think you feel lost kind of listening to it. Yeah. Now, it's I, re- sorry. Yeah. No, you go ahead. I, well, it's just so hazy. It's like you know you get yeah. lost like in a cloud of rain almost. Right. Right. Yeah. I. Uh, I. I have always uh, had a soft spot for that one, but I think. Uh, you know the the ones that resonated with me the most for the longest time, and I know I'm gonna sound kind of kind of basic for saying this, but uh, we're always life and night from the album. Dude, that's so basic. I'm just I kidding. know. I'm I'm gonna sound so I'm so uh, I'm so boring for for liking because those those I mean those two are practically the most uh, like uh, boilerplate hard rock kind of sounding off of the record. I mean, they, as far as like song structure goes, I suppose you could say. They're, but they are incredible. I mean, they're geez. incredible. Like, I mean, they're they're two of the best, ex, like most well executed songs that have ever been done in that kind of style. Uh, you know, life life is this. I mean, it 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 feels like kind of a hard rock anthem that. I, you could almost hear a song like that playing on the radio in the true, like in the early two thousands. Like, yeah. you know, when I, when I first heard that track, I almost like, I almost thought like to myself, you know, I could, I could almost hear like Nickelback or something playing this song. Yeah. I, maybe I wouldn't go that far, but it, not, it not that far, but you know, it's, it's one of those yeah. songs where you could, you could imagine like a, a mainstream, like hard rock group playing that song. Yeah. But, or you could just hear, imagine hearing it on the radio. Like it has such right. a radio quality, and I think maybe right. that was intentional. But yeah, um, yeah, that's it, a great song. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot about. I mean, lyrically, it's it's. It, I mean, if it, it as you said, it's like an affirmation, sort of 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 his struggle of sort of being alive and stuff. Um, it's always been sort of a beautiful thing. Uh, and one song I think we should point out because this song has kind of like gotten a lot of traction between us and like conversation. Right. And it was a song that I think otherwise we would have we never like talked about is the song Hide Nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's 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 just so uh, there's there's something about the you know between like the weird like chanting part at the end of the song uh you know where he's got some weird chorus of him saying hide 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 hide, hide or whatever yeah there's and, like uh, so there's like these tons of vocals and it's like you know pan yeah. left and right and it's crazy yeah it's it's that it's crazy sort of like weird chaotic thing that he does at the end and the there's there's just like there's sometimes these weird occasional things that happen in that song like like him saying like gonna talk about <laughs> gonna talk about <laughs> right in the middle of the he, verse i don't even think that's the way i think that i don't even think that's what he says it, it doesn't actually, does it that's not really how he says it no but what he said what he actually says is hear them talk about it's yeah gonna yeah. talk about right it's but, it's kind of like it's kind of like a system of a down saying you wanted to when uh you know in chop suey it's like his equivalent of that or it's like detox it's like hey you know hey <laughs> hey it's like, you know yeah i don't know what he's saying there um it, yeah Apparently it's hey you mo, but what that's weird. Anyway, memes (laughs) aside, actually a great song that I oh it is for many years, right? Right. um, That's another one where you know whenever it starts, like the guitar, there's like a little guitar part that's really like distant sounding, right? Um, and you can kind of barely tell what it what he's playing. I always feel like the song is gonna sound like different like it's going to be in a different like time signature because the riff doesn't really come through clearly it sounds like weird and muddled but then when the the drums come yeah. in it's like oh this is what we're doing right right yeah he kind of he kind of throws you through through a through a loop there on the song for a bit yeah it's it's got some it's i think it's got some of the elements that you wouldn't i guess you it would it would sort of define a lot of his later work where a lot of the more like crazy wacky like silly stuff you'd you'd expect from some of his later works uh yeah definitely got their start with hide nowhere um because because for the most part um this album definitely has a bit more of a uh like a somber tone in general than most of the most of the you know not not all the devon townsend works but a lot of his most of his stuff has this more whimsical weird feeling to it you know with with yeah. I mean, if you just think about um, Infinity, uh, which came right after Infinity, right. is like it's all it's weird like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, um, like Bad Devil, and yeah, I mean, even the songs that are more serious on that one, like Life is All Dynamics, I get the idea that that song is just crazy, you know? Right, right. Well, and you got like Noisy Pink Bubbles as, as oh, well. Oh, yeah, that's a funny little song. That's a, it's a great one. But yeah, I think like the the weirder stuff. Uh, definitely, I I, I, I want to say Hide Nowhere is kind of where that seed got planted in a lot of his solo work, to be honest. Yeah, because I, I think of, I think of that song and I think, um, oh, yeah, like there's probably a DTP song that sounds like this somewhere. Right, right. I, I can think like, OK, this is like years down the line. I'm sure some of the ideas he had for when he was 
when he was writing some of the crazier stuff on on uh, uh, you know like Infinity or or, or uh, Ziltoid or or something like that. Uh, you know this the song uh, Hide Nowhere definitely kind of laid the groundwork for that kind of stuff. Uh, not not to say like there wasn't silly stuff in his music beforehand. Um, I mean Cooked on Phonics came out before, but Cooked on Phonics was more f- it was more funny because of the concept, not in mean, the music itself. He and I mean, he, he intentionally made that like the most boilerplate, generic sounding punk rock you could have possibly imagined. So, God damn it. We've talked so much about Punky Brewster. All right. We're done talking about Punky Brewster. I, we've talked about it more than I've listened to it. <laughs> I, I solemnly swear never to talk about Punky <laughs> Brewster. Pu- Punky again. Brewster is banned from this podcast. All right. Cooked uh, on watch. Phonics. Watch Cooked us. We'll make a whole episode about album it. Ever. Yeah. I'm just kidding. It's not terrible, but this is actually this is just like a cool joke I'm forcing. Yeah. Well, I uh I think I think uh that aside, the 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 weirder stuff. I mean, there there was some of the the weird stuff uh like the silly the the silly stuff I suppose you could say kind of kind of started in uh City, but in in City it was more of this it was this sarcastic, snarky, uh, more of a more of just him lashing out in a very in a very like snarky way, uh, with with his occasional lyrical things. But in it was a lot more like baked into the music itself with uh, with hide nowhere. I'd say where it's 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 more just the weird things he does in the songwriting with the the chants and stuff. So Doug, what do you think about the song Death of Music? Okay, Death of Music. Let's talk about Death of Music. And now I didn't like this song for a long time. I uh, it 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 took me a while. It was one that I would usually like sleep through. Um no exaggeration, I would literally sleep through that song. Um but the more it, it's one of those ones where the more you revisit it and the more you just you give it an actual listen, there's the more it sort of pops out at you. Um and I, you know, I think part of that's I, I think my my musical horizons have kind of broadened since I first listened to the record. So like this, this very quiet, reserved twelve minute, um, kind of a, it's I mean it's it's barely, it's barely got even any like guitar in the song. It's it's almost like an ambient song in a way. But um, some of his some of his vocals on that song are actually quite incredible. Uh, he does some great like uh, uh, vocal melodies, but it's 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 interesting because the song almost has this ominous tone about it, with with that that minimalist percussion he does, where he's just sort of whispering over it, um, like he almost like when I hear it sometimes nowadays, it 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 almost feels unsettling, like oh something bad is about to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I think that song's kind of interesting. Um, I will say it's probably, I mean, if I had to pick a song that's like, other than sort of the transitional songs, if I had to pick a song that was maybe my least favorite in terms of like songs I'm going to pick out from the album, it's probably this one. Yeah. But conceptually, yeah. this out al- this song like works perfectly where it is. Right. Because yeah. like Funeral and Bastard are so climactic, you know, like we're, talk- right. we're talking about a three act structure. Funeral and right. Bastard are so climactic and so big and so full of these like production layers. And like death of music really kind of strips it all down and really lays bare all of the sort of the emotional content of not only the song, but like the album at large, you know, the, the, right. th- the, 
the feelings of growing up and becoming disillusioned and, and, you know, feeling yourself fall away from, you know, something you loved or feeling like something you loved has been ruined or changed for you forever in a fundamental way. And that's sort of the point of the whole record in a way is that process. And I think the process of pulling back from like funeral and bastard into death and music really makes a lot of sense and is kind of beautiful in like a poetic way. And really, you know, it's not like an anti-climax. It's like, it feels more like an epilogue or like, like the climax happened. Now thing, the dust is starting to settle and there's sort of a realization. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I, it's, it's definitely still not my favorite from the record. I would, I would, I would be, I'm right there with you where it's like musically, it's my least favorite on the album. Um, but it, 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 it has a really interesting place in the album. And I think, I think the album wouldn't be complete without the song. Um, and which, which brings us to the, to the next part. Um, unless you had something, anything else to say about death of music. No, I think I, I, I'm with you. I think we should move on to the final track. Yeah. Cause things beyond things. So this, this is interesting. Um, as I said, uh, I didn't realize this song was a bonus track. Um, maybe it was like the version I had of the album. Um, it wasn't listed as one, uh, or maybe I just never cared to check. Um, but it, it always felt like sort of an integral part of that story. You know, it's, it's this, this, Hey, I'm sort of moving forward with my life kind of, kind of song. And it, it's a, it's a sad song, but it's got, it's got a bit of a, like a melancholic feel to it where there's sort of like an acceptance of things. Yeah. There's kind of like a glimmer of hope to it. And I think, um, it's really the perfect way to end the album going back to a, like an old older song, you know, that was recorded in adolescence that right. deals with the themes of like, you know, nostalgia and kind of looking back and having that as the last album on the, I mean, the last track on the album really is just like kind of genius in a way. And yeah. thematically just works so perfectly to kind of draw it all together. And, and musically I mean, song, too, you know, it's like this slower, slower ballad track that, that yeah. just closes out the album really nicely. And it really gets back to like the rock. It's almost like the counterpart to life. It gets back to like the the rock roots. Um, right, right. Yeah, this is almost, sort of one where you could you could almost imagine hearing it on a, on the radio. Um, yeah, um, it almost reminds me of something by like a band like uh, like some something from you know the eighties or early nineties, like Faith No More, or even that. And actually, you know, when we we got way off topic earlier when I, we were talking about. Um, influences but um mm. this is a tangent recently i started listening to faith no more and listening to the album angel dust mm. um, which i had just never checked out another and, one of those uh, great 90s records you know yeah from 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 the last time anything meant anything yes um or something meant anything or something meant something or anything meant something yes any combination um great record but i was listening to that album going i have a sneaking suspicion that Devin townsend listened to this a lot and I'll tell you what I was listening to an interview with him today. It was with, um, it was one of those Diderio interviews from 2009 around the time key came out and he's sitting mm. in a chair with his guitar and he's like, yeah, you know, my influences and he rattles off a bunch and he's like, at the end, he's like, Oh yeah. And faith no more during like the, uh, the angel dust era. And I was like, I fucking huh. knew it. I could have told <laughs> you that myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but, um, I mean, it, it, it definitely shows, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's something of a similar ethos in uh, 
how Devin has written a lot of his music and yeah. how Faith No More wrote their music. Well, especially in like the vocals of like the wacky vocals of um, oh yeah, Mike Patton like yeah. had to influence Devin massively. Yeah, but anyway, like the crazy per like the crazy persona of Mike Patton definitely feels like uh, something that Devin Devin was really wanting to emulate with what he did. But anyway, um, thing beyond things is really the perfect closer to the album, and you know, really leaves you. You know, it's funny. So many of his albums kind of end on this like. He has a way of ending his albums, and I don't know if I don't if I ever heard this put by him or by somebody else, but it's like he'll have kind of like the most climactic song. Like think about an album like you know Deconstruction or Terrio, where like on Deconstruction you have the title track, and then you have like a track afterwards that's like shorter, and it like packs a little bit more punch. It's almost like when you get to an end, the end of the movie and you have the climax, yeah. but then you have to have like, like think about the end of return of the King where it's like, they throw the ring in the volcano and then there's like 20 minutes of movie afterwards. That's yeah. how Devin Devin's albums are is he'll have like a big song. That's like, you know, really climactic. Think like tiny tears from Terria. And then it goes into stagnant Yeah. or like um, on this album, you have death of music into thing beyond things, which almost feels like to me, it's like closing credits like you're, right. you're yeah. listening to this song as the credits close and it's like right it's kind of cool and then there's the post credit scene where Devin starts screeching his head off oh yeah oh my god the scream you know i used to not like the scream but now i kind of dig the scream from an artistic yeah. standpoint it's like oh that's that's like the whole point of it it's like you know you're just like i've been through all of this i've been no, through I'm all of this letting it all out <laughs> just letting it all out it's like yeah crazy I, it's yeah, that that one. I remember the first time I heard that, I I freaked out because I I didn't realize that was on the record, and it was just it was just like came out of nowhere, and I was like, what the fuck's going on? I nearly yeah. jumped out of my chair. It was funny. You were talking about sleeping through the death of music earlier, and I was like, I wonder if he, you know, he fell asleep during death of music only to wake up at the end of thing beyond yeah, things. Yeah, that things beyond things was always what jolted me awake. It was the that ending part where he starts screaming. I always thought, you know, or when I was younger that I would just make a copy of the album where I edited that out, but like I never got around to it and I probably won't. Yeah. I don't know. It 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 it, it it's one of those those little nuances that that gives this album the the personality that it has, I think. Um Yeah. Any clothing thoughts, Doug? Clothing thoughts. <laughs> Any um clothing thoughts. I think there's there's something of a cosmic irony to the fact that Devin Townsend sampled a Metallica drum beat on this record, or Metallica specifically a Metallica snare, and it gave the album extra personality. Meanwhile, Metallica intentionally ruined their snare sound on later records. <laughs> I, uh, I think I mean there's I there's got to be there's got to be a word for that I I think I think it's cosmic irony. <laughs> oh man, we should just end it right there. I think that's the best thing you could have said. All right, I think yeah I I, I we're yeah I think this is good. <laughs> yeah, um, Ocean Machine is probably and Ocean Machine and broad more broadly the music of Devin Townsend is probably one of the most important develops developments in my music listening in this year, this year, but also probably in the last few years of my life. I, mm. you know, just, you know, not to go too long about this again, but, um, 
you know, there's so much music I like and I'm influenced by, like, you know, John Coltrane, as far as the saxophone stuff, you know, there's tons of saxophones, but Coltrane, you know, is kind of my favorite. So that's kind of like the saxophone element. And then you have stuff like King Crimson and Zappa, which is like the prog element. And then you have like singer songwriter stuff like Elliot Smith and Dave Matthews band and all that stuff. But I, I always wanted to make music with all those things and I never figured out how to channel it. But I feel like listening to Devin's music and kind of trying to get into his production style and his, you know, guitar playing style combined with all of these things combined with new knowledge about recording techniques. I guess you could say is those previous artists showed me kind of like what I wanted to do. And then Devin's music showed me how to do it. And I think that is probably the most important thing that not only his music has shown me, but ocean machine has shown me and the ocean machine is now one of my favorite records of all time. Easily my favorite album by Devin. And, um, one of the most important sort of discoveries for me as of late, I think. Um, oh, yeah. So there is one more thing I wanted to to mention. Um, <clears throat> so so, um, as you know, there was uh, he's he's done like live performances this album quite a few times, but there was that specific one live version of this album that he recorded. Uh, that was it, the live at Povdiv one. Yeah, Pavdiv. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? It's it's interesting. I I actually have not listened to the live version, but I mean Devin Devin is pretty amazing live if you've ever seen him. But I'm wondering, have you ever heard that live version of the record? I have. Um. So okay. it's it's part of a a larger concert where he did, and a, a a first set of like music from throughout his career. Right. Uh, some of the songs include um stuff from the then uh, brand new uh, album Transcendence. So he plays right. like um, he plays Stormbending. He plays Failure. He plays Truth, which is from, you know, both Infinity and Transcendence. Yeah. He plays stuff like By Your Command and Deadhead. He plays Gaia from uh, Synchestra. He plays a bunch of kind of a sort of a career spanning set. Mm. And then um and then in the second set, he did all of Ocean Machine. And um, it's a really good, pretty faithful performance. Um, mm. Obviously, there's some, I think there's some concessions he had to make vocally because some parts are harder to sing live than they were on the record. Right, but, um, right. I, I mean, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, well, they must of, be especially hard after you've already played a full set. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's great because when he finally gets to funeral, he actually is able to nail most of those vocal parts. So it's like it's pretty. He actually he got lucky, I guess. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. So yeah, the live version's great. Definitely check it out. Um, it's cool to hear some of those songs interpreted live, like "Voices in the Fan" and mm. "Greetings" and and uh, "Regulator" and mm. some of those more rare songs. Uh, there's, I think, there's a video that that. I, I don't want to say it went like viral, but like one of the ones that pops up uh, when you search Devin Townsend on YouTube is, is, is the live performance. I want to say a regulator um, where he, I, I would say the live version of regulator uh, from that record, he, he definitely added to the vocals on, on that one um, with his live performance. But uh I think I think it it yeah it definitely depends on the song because like c- certain songs when Devin plays them live he'll he'll uh, 
he'll add to it. He'll add little little touches to the vocals and stuff in his performance that that really enhance the song. And I think Regulator was one of the ones where he really yeah. really did that. But that was the only one that really stood out to me. But yeah, um, yeah, check it out. Um, that's a great live album. And um, mm. I I mean, obviously, I think I prefer the original album um, because yeah. the live. You don't really get the same on. production style no. that made the um, first album so special. But hey, you know that's cool. Some people, I think, some yeah. people probably do like it more, and that's cool. People can be yeah. wrong. That's all right. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Anyways, now that we're uh, alienating uh, the rest of our audience here, uh, well, nobody nobody listened this far, so it's okay. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. This is the secret part. This is um, the secret part. Now that now that we're done with the secrets. Uh, I suppose it's time for uh, uh, credits. Where can people find you, Banks? Um, you know, um, you can find me um, on Bandcamp. My music is on Bandcamp. Um, my music is on Bandcamp at banksdaniels.bandcamp.com. Um, and it's also on Spotify and Apple Music and iTunes and Google Play and Amazon and pretty much anywhere you can find anywhere that uh, DistroKid uploaded my music to. There's probably some weird sites that I don't even know about that it's on, which is Pornhub. great. Uh, check out my music on Pornhub. Uh, check me out on Instagram at Banks P. Daniels and on Twitter at Banks P. Daniels. I've got some new music coming out soon. Doug and I have some new music coming out soon, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, look forward some, to it. We have some stuff we're cooking up. Doug, what about you? Uh, Dougal vs. Draws at uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter. Uh in regards to the music, you will see some very interesting uploads in the near future. Yeah, and by near future, I mean, you know, maybe next year, but we'll, you'll we'll, hear we'll, it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Oh, friends, it's I hate to say goodbye, you know, but, uh, you know, this has been a good episode, and thanks for sticking that out. You know, we've got some, we always have cool stuff in the works, and, um, yeah, uh, we're glad to be here, glad to be frowning with you. All right, stay frowning, everyone. Thank you.